Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of 18 Life, the Pac-12 Hoops podcast. My name is Jeff Neuser here, along with my co-host, Seth Colin, and somebody whose voice you won't hear, our producer, Jeff Collier. And Seth, um, how you doing after that uh, after that game against the, the vaunted Jackrabbits of South Dakota State? Well, as again. Uh, it's, uh, they were pretty good, and, you know, Lorenzo Romar, after the game, compared their point guard, uh, whose name I believe is Nate Walters, who scored 34 points, uh, compared him to Jason Kidd, which I think may have said he was, like, the best point guard he'd seen as a college coach since Jason Kidd, which I think may have been, or he said it was the best performance, which I think may have been to make his team maybe feel better, because the Huskies came out, just didn't play, just let this team that shoots a bunch of threes have a bunch of open threes, and they knocked them all down, and they'd allowed 31 points, 11, like, nine minutes into the game, uh, which is uh, not the best, so... And then on offense, it was just a lot of stand around and then kind of drag the lane and see what happens, which wasn't much. Some guys got in foul trouble, and it was just ugly. I could, I was sitting, it was quiet. The students weren't there. Like, students didn't show up. The student section was, like, half full because it's finals or whatever. And I was sitting in literally the very back row of the arena uh, with my friend that has, like, a pack game pack or whatever, and I could hear Romar yelling from there. So it was just dead in there, and obviously really no one wanted to be there, ever wanted to be out shopping. And it turns out it's like the worst non-conference loss in the Romar era and since like 1981 or something like that. But, uh, you know, it was just, it was just, they hit, every, they hit like every three in the first half. They shouldn't have had the shots, but ew, it was just, it was, it was a pretty, it was a pretty ugly game. And, uh, I guess somebody asked Romar at the, Post game press conference. It was if it was panic time, and he said that if they if they lose next week to Cal State Northridge, it would be panic time, which I think is definitely true. Yeah, you know the interesting thing to me is you know obviously we're both located up here in the Seattle area, and and uh, you know there was there was sort of this ridiculous you know fallout from from the game where you know is this, is this the low point in husky basketball history and i'm like <laughs> i'm like are you, are you serious right yeah. now i mean you people clearly were not around for the andy russo era but you know it's like you know the, the thing is when i look at obviously it's really hard to see every team and know every team and i mean there's 350 division 1 teams right and uh you know, so so we we sort of rely on other metrics to give us a a sense of you know potentially how good or not good a team is. Um, South Dakota State was a team that was ranked 125th by Pomeroy heading into that game, and that's not you know I mean that's not that's not a world beater by any means, but that's also not a horrible team. Um, this is a team that's ranked currently 26th in uh, adjusted offensive efficiency by Pomeroy. Walters is a guy who ranks among the the national leaders in a number of different categories. His offensive rating is 115, which is um, 300th nationally, but I would venture to say is really good among guys. One of the higher ones you'll find among guys who use around 30% of possessions. Um, his assist rate is 36, meaning that's how many assists per 100 possessions he uses. Turnover rate is an absurd 12 uh, for a guard. That's incredible. So, you know, that's a guy who, uh, who has played really, really well this year, and I don't know you know why anybody would necessarily be shocked that uh, that 
that you know North Dakota or South Dakota State played all that well. Um, it's just I think it's just not a terrible team. South Dakota State. Sure, like, and it's you know it's a team that you've never like heard Portland of. Right? State people will be like, okay, but it's like South Dakota. What? They don't can't play basketball in South Dakota. Uh, it's, I mean, it, it sounds it sure. sounds worse than it is. And I mean, again, it's like this is a team that lost to Duke by six points. That had Marquette was up by one on Marquette with you know no time left. And, you know, and, and could have won that. So it's like, you know, uh, if they had gotten blown out by those two, like, basically top 20 teams, you know, okay. But uh, I don't know. It's just it – just, it's it happens. It just kind of felt like one of those – and it what it kind of – the whole what the whole the whole thing that's going on with UW is keeps bringing me back to 2009 when Isaiah Thomas was a freshman, and he kind of had to figure out – how to play within the, you know, like an actual team of other talented guys instead of what he'd sort of been doing, which is just dominating the ball wherever he'd been. Although he had a year in prep school, so he had a little bit of time to do that, which which Roten, who is now dominating the ball for the Huskies, didn't have. Um, and they had some, you know, inside players, which the Huskies now don't with the Zenji out until the start of Pac-10 play. Um but you know they lost their first. They lost at Portland to start the season. They lost. They lost to Kansas and Florida. Um, they were blown out by Kansas and was almost beat Florida. Those were you know neutral court kind of things. And then they very very nearly lost to Portland State, which ironically or coincidentally I guess was ranked 125th by Ken Pomeroy. So at home. So um, you know they weren't. They just weren't that good in the non-conference season. But they really did end up figuring it out and winning a game in the tournament. Uh, so. You know, I I I would say it's it was pretty disappointing performance, but you know they were playing they played Friday against UCSB, which ran and which was a close game, so they may have been and they you know they're not playing a ton of guys, so they were probably tired. The arena was just dead; none of the students showed up, um, and and you know South Dakota State just started hitting everything, so. I don't know. I'm not. It doesn't concern me a great deal. Of course, people are yelling at Romar. You don't have an offense. Blah blah blah. Which you know you always get when the Huskies lose, but you never hear when they're scoring a hundred points and tons and tons of baskets in transition. Um, you know, I'm 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 not too worried about it. Yeah, people always seem to forget that scoring baskets in transition is an offense. But you know, whatever. Right. You know, you have this, you have this like group. I don't know. You, I mean, it's just it's just there's just people you can never please. Yeah. But you know they have this feeling that, like, whenever the Huskies don't score, it's like, oh, well, you know, they should, you know, whatever, run a bunch of, like, I mean, they do, you know, it's not like they don't do things on offense, but they're, you know, they're more predicated on on running a transition and trying to get easy baskets. And every team, even teams that do slow the ball down and, you know, try to score one basket look ugly a lot. I mean, if you really want to see an offense, go check out, you know, I don't know. Well, come see Virginia play Seattle U and see. You know, there's a lot of ugly possessions when you play half court a lot. So, uh, yeah, um, uh, it's it'll 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 be. I think it'll be fine. Yeah, I think so too. But you know, if we as as it's a non-conference season is, is drawing to a close, you know, maybe we take a look back and say, okay, what what are some of the storylines that we've seen and that we you know, might might reflect on a little bit and and Washington being 
disappointing, I guess would be the best word, is, is, you know, certainly, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, I don't think anyone expected Washington to have five losses heading into, no. into conference play, you know, and, and as we sort of look, I mean, obviously the, the conference as a whole hasn't performed as well as people would have hoped, but if we're looking at, you know, two teams that, you know, perhaps are maybe, you know, undershot pre-conference or non-conference expectations. Washington would be one. You know, UCLA would be another, obviously, and we've we've documented their, um, you know, their their turmoil, their shortcomings uh, to a certain degree, and you know, but you know, lo and behold, here, uh, you know, the 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 Bruins have have you know maybe um, turned a little corner here. Yeah, I mean, they uh, they won three in a row. They took out UC Davis. Uh, 82 to 39, which is, you know, like a high school score. So, um, and that's, and this all coming, you know, without Reese Nelson, who is now kicked off the team and apparently is going to play professional basketball in Lithuania, which, I mean, I don't know if you, if you were a college basketball player at UCLA and now you're going to play professionally in Lithuania, I would say that that is sort of a, step downward in the, on the happiness of life scale, although he will get paid to buy whatever you can buy in Lithuania. Um, yeah, I mean, they, uh, Lazarus Jones especially has played a lot better um, than he was earlier in the season, and, and, and that could have been just maybe bad luck, just missing a lot of shots, but um, he seems to kind of be taking control, and maybe it's just not the pressure of dealing with Reeves Nelson calling for the ball constantly, and uh, and, um, you know, kind of the, the disruption that he was causing to the team, but, um, but they do seem to be, to be playing, you know, I mean, wins over Penn and Eastern Washington, UC Davis are nothing to be super excited about, but I mean, it's better than losing to, losing to Loyola Marymount and Middle Tennessee like they did early in the season. So they play UC Irvine and Richmond to finish off their non-conference schedule this week, um, and uh, and then and then they have a really rough introduction to Pac-10 play, starting with Stanford and Cal. But for now, they seem to be riding the ship at least a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm not sure what to think. Um, <laughs> you know, it's I, I, I tend to, to kind of not not really know what what to believe. I mean, the only these guys. By four. It's like yeah. Eastern Washington by thirteen. Yeah. It's like, well, this, these are, you know, I mean, like, if you beat a team by four, it's like you really only barely beat the team. Yeah, I mean, UC Davis is really, really horrible. So, you know, I mean, I think, the, the, you know, we're recording this Tuesday morning. They play UC Irvine tonight. You know, that, that's a game they should win fairly easily. Um, if they win Friday, which they have a home game against Richmond on Friday, mm. uh, that would that would sort of convince me, okay, that they are – they are indeed heading in the right direction. They are indeed figuring some things out, and um, you know, it's just it's wild to think of all of all of the storylines of of this non-conference season just with UCLA alone. <laughs> you know, yeah. some of the different stuff we've talked about. You talk about Reeves Nelson going to Lithuania. I mean, I'm just, I don't know, man. That guy, you know, it's <laughs> I just it's like things did not work out. Well, yeah, maybe you the know, way you want them to work out, but you know, like, UCLA kicks me off the team, and I want to play so badly, I'm willing to go to Lithuania. To, I don't know, man. I don't know, but um, you know, it's. I mean, hey, there's addition by subtraction all the time with certain teams, and you know, it's. You wonder if if maybe that's not happening a little bit with 
with UCLA, and um, you know, for one, I'm I'm looking forward to that Richmond game, just trying to see if if UCLA really has improved and if they really are moving in the right direction. Because you know, like you said, they they play Stanford, Cal, and then the following weekend Arizona. So I mean, their first three conference games are probably um, it's probably the the toughest three game stretch you could have to yeah. conference play at Stanford, at, uh, at California, and then um, it says semi-home on Pomeroy's side for Arizona, which means it's probably maybe Anaheim or something. In Anaheim, like yeah. yeah. So, you know, they, they – I don't know. It's a, Like I said, if they, if they can hang with Richmond and, and perhaps win that game, um, Richmond's been a you know an A-10 team that's been in the tournament the last couple of years. Um, it's a good squad. If they can do that, then uh, then then they're in good shape. And and I guess maybe we could flip flop to the other side, the other storylines that from non conference play that that have been surprising. You know, we could say Stanford. You know, this mm-hmm. is a team that uh, that is um, you know thought incredibly highly, thought of incredibly highly by by Pomeroy. They are in fact the second ranked Pac ten team behind California. And uh, you know, the big thing is they are um, the things that that. that the, sort of the hallmark of Pomeroy's system is that he rewards essentially margin of victory, which it's he calculates it differently based on possessions with you know points per possession and things like that. But you know it's it's essentially margin of victory, and that's what Cal is doing great. You know they've only got the one loss, and that's to Syracuse. Now they haven't yeah. played a great non-conference schedule. They've played a lot of bad teams, but they've also beat the crap out of all those bad teams. Yeah. Um, you know, which something that's going to be interesting is is that. Um, you know, I remember watching you know WSU the last few years, and they've they've had very good non-conference records. And one of the things that they've always been good at is really sort of physically overwhelming, um, you know, non-conference opponents that that you know from from mid majors to small majors who, you know, they basically what they what they've been able to do is sort of inflate their their ranking on Pomeroy because they they just sort of overwhelmed these less af- the less athletic competition with with just their talent alone and when they play similarly talented teams they they tend to have a tougher time executing if that makes sense yeah and one thing with Stanford is you know you wonder maybe if there's a little bit of that there um, they are ranked ninth overall in adjusted defensive efficiency just incredible defense and you wonder you know is that that is that you know, just the the talent thing sort of overwhelming, but you've got that one result against Syracuse, which is that they lost by six in a game they were leading most of the way. Uh, you know, in New York, um, so you know it's you know I don't know it's going to be interesting. They play Butler this week, which which is a game that that I'm particularly interested in watching. Butler's a really not very good offensive team, so you know maybe they'll run into the uh, the Cardinal buzzsaw, so to speak. Of the of the Stanford defense, but you know it's Butler's team is playing better. You know I don't know. You can only play the schedule that that's in front of you, and I know that these guys make their own schedule. You know when it comes to non conference, but yeah. um, you know they they are for all intents and purposes beating the crud out of people. And well, and yeah, you know, there's not much Carolina else you can do. They beat yep, Carolina State, which, which is a good team. Um, you know, and they're and they're doing it with. Guys whose names I didn't know before the season started. Chasson Randall, who's their, who's a freshman guard, and he's he's playing a lot of minutes, and he's and he's doing a very good job. And then Dwight Powell, who was sort of the big name on their front line, is actually not 
has kind of lost his starting spot to Josh Eustace, who was a sophomore last year who hardly played hardly played at all as a freshman, um, and is just kind of a like a long, athletic, um, big, and he's been playing uh, exceptionally well, um, especially just being extremely efficient on offense. So, um, so yeah, they uh, or excuse me, excuse me, not offense, rebounding. So I think. Um, you know, they, Dawkins has sort of compiled. You know, it was you know the first couple of years he took over. You know, the guys on the you know kind of the rest of the guys on the team were pretty atrocious, and now he's got you know some talented guys coming up, some guys improving, like Aaron Bright, who is not so great as a freshman, has been really good as a sophomore. So um, yeah, they're in good shape, and then they they start out the the conference schedule um, home to UCLA and Southern Cal. Uh, which is, which I mean, really, it sounds hard, but really, those are two of the kind of lower tier teams in the conference. Then, um, then they have uh, trips, the trip to Oregon. So Stanford, Oregon State, probably early on will be kind of an interesting match of the two surprising teams in the conference. Then they're home to Utah and Colorado. Uh, so I mean, kind of a not a super rough start for them to kind of slide into uh, conference play. They don't play the Arizona. So they miss theirs. they everybody's going to miss a pair of games and the, the of road games and the pair of road games they miss are the Arizona schools. They just play the Arizona schools once they don't travel to Arizona. So um, I would say a pretty favorable schedule for Stanford. Yeah, I think there's, you know, you can make a case that after the first six games or so, they, you know, they really should be or could be, you know, like five and one and, and be off to a to running start as far as that goes. And, and the, you know, the other team that I, I don't know if you could call, the, you know, they're not a they're not a surprise, certainly. But, uh, you know, California, Stanford's travel partner, that it's looking more and more like uh, like that Stanford Cal road trip is going to be the one that's, that's sort of the, <laughs> the the death trip. Road trip of death. Yeah. yeah you know, for for teams. That are that are away from from home, trying to you know you always kind of when you go on the road in the in the Pac-12 and um, you know because you, they they do play this this sort of interesting you know setup where where you go on the road and you play two games and you you know you do these travel partners and play these pairs of games and sort of conventional with it that you want to get a split when you go on the road and and Cal Stanford that is going to be a, an exceedingly tough tough. Uh, road split for any team, and Cal is uh, Cal is interesting in that they, you know, they they've really only played two decent teams. One was Missouri, and one was San Diego State, and they lost both of those games. And, and I guess the thing that's probably sticking in everybody's mind, I imagine, is that that you know absolute. 40-point beatdown at the hands of Missouri. Um, they lost a close game at San Diego State, which they probably win if Richard Solomon plays in that game, uh, given the fact that, that what they really needed were some key rebounds down the stretch, and he didn't play. But, you know, again, the, the, the bummer part for, for Cal is that Solomon is again out, this time not because of a suspension, but because of, a I believe, a, a stress fracture of some kind in a foot. Um, he's going to be out for a few weeks. Uh, that's a guy that that really 
brings an element to that team that, that really nobody else does. He's a, he's an incredibly athletic and gifted rebounder. Um, Harper Camp, for, for all of his sort of offensive savvy, is not that kind of a guy. And so, you know, they, they really need that kind of a presence. It didn't wasn't a problem last night against UC Santa Barbara, which was a game that, that I thought maybe could be a little bit of a, of a trouble for, you know, not necessarily trouble, but just, you know, that, that UCSB could give them a little bit of a game, and, and they clearly did not. Uh, Cal beat up on them by by uh, 20 points, scoring 70 points in a 57-possession game, which is always a really excellent ratio there. Now they've got their sights set on UNLV, which is a team that obviously is capable of playing very, very well, as we know, uh, beat beat uh, North Carolina and, and tough with some other good teams. And so um, that game is going to be interesting because they will face Mike Mosier, speaking of UCLA. He's a UCLA refugee to, to UNLV. He didn't play, you know, was a highly regarded recruit, didn't play much uh, during his freshman year under uh, under under um, Ben Howland, and now he's in Las Vegas, just absolutely tearing it up, bringing you know drawing you know all American people are like bandying about the the word all American with him, which is which is sort of crazy. But he's precisely the kind of guy that that Solomon would would help them try to contain, attempt to contain. And so um, with him running sort of roaming free without Solomon to contend with, it'll be interesting to see if uh, if Cal really can live up to that lofty ranking that that Pomeroy has for them uh, and and hold off uh, hold off the the running rebels there. And it'll be an interesting contrast in styles too. You know, Cal plays plays fairly slow. There just it was about sixty six and a half possessions a game, and and UNLV with their new coach who is who was a reserve guy under Jerry Tarkanian, uh, they are running, 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 running. So going to be an interesting game to watch, I think. And uh, I don't know, that's that's kind of an interesting storyline. Are there any other interesting storylines that that you've kind of had an eye on? Well, I think the other surprising team, um, you know, they were picked to finish eighth in the conference after a really disappointing last year, but uh, year last year, but. Oregon State, um, you know they've they've had a big win at Texas and they or against Texas, not at Texas, but against Texas. And they only the two kind of good teams they played, Texas and Vanderbilt. They lost by two to Vanderbilt, and they had that bad loss to Idaho at home. But there were sort of some extenuating circumstances there because of the death of the football player that a lot of the basketball team guys were close to. So, I mean, I've, I mean, I would imagine tournament committee or whatever is not going to throw that out the window, but I think for the sake of evaluating the team, you could. Um, and since then, they've beaten up on a bunch of, you know, crummy non-conference teams, and they'll beat up on Chicago State, I'm sure, on Wednesday and open conference play uh, at the Washington schools. But, um, I mean, it's just been a big, a pretty impressive turnaround for them. And uh, Jared, with Jared Cunningham, I would say probably being the early favorite for uh, – Conference Player of the Year. Yeah, I think so. He's he's played very well. Um, you know, and the thing that he's got going for him that that uh, is always always a positive is he, he you know he tends to make these incredible plays that stick in your mind. The kinds of things you see on um, ESPN's you know Sports Center Top Ten and and those kinds of things really uh, you know stick in the minds of the guys who who end up voting on these things. You know the coaches are yeah. the ones who vote on them, and you know obviously they don't watch every single game every night or every week, and so so they've got that. And you know it's it's. The loss to Idaho wasn't good, you know, but yeah. um, you know they've they've 
you know, they've done, other than that, you know, they've done more or less what they were supposed to do. They played Vanderbilt on neutral floor, and, um, again, they, you know, Vandy was without Ezel, which is, you know, that's, you know, that's a game that I think Oregon State really would, would like to have back, maybe. But, you know, they've, again, done what we talked about which with, with Stanford, which is, you know, beat the crud out of the teams that are on your schedule. And, you know, that, that lost to Idaho doesn't look great, but, you know, I think anyone with a reasonable mind would, would sort of excuse that one. And they've got that nice win against Texas on a neutral court, which is, you know, always something that um, they, they should be able to hang their hat on as, as they move forward. So, And they are still, you know, forcing a ton of tur- – you know, they've gone away from the yeah. one-through-one. They're in man, but they're yeah. still forcing a ton of turnovers. Um, 27 – their defense is forcing turnovers on 27.7% of possessions, which is sixth best in the country. And the one thing that will be interesting is they're – Pac-10's conference schedule is killer. They're away to the Washington schools, which is never easy. Then they've got the toughest home trip you can have with Cal and Stanford coming in. Then they go to the Arizona schools. Then they've got UCLA and Southern Cal at home. Um, uh, so you know, I mean, I, you know, they may—I could imagine very easily them starting out conference play three and three or. Or two and four, and people sort of saying, "Oh well, you know, they weren't as good as they, you know, everyone thought they were." Um, but uh, I think that would be so. You know, keep an eye on that. Like they, they, they may not start out really well, but they, they, they'll, they, they could end up finishing really strong um, and coming back from from a from a tough early start just due to the schedule. Yeah, well, it definitely sets up for them to to make a run there in the middle uh, if they can if they can you know get that far without being buried. And I think that's been that's been sort of their Achilles' heel, their bugaboo over the last couple of years is you know they they've had you know reasonably high expectations coming into the season and then had some bad non-conference losses. And this year, obviously, they've they've avoided that. You know, they had the loss to Idaho, but again, that's you know Idaho's not terrible and. Um, you know, it's not the circumstances sort of explain that away. So the key for them is going to be, even though they do have sort of a difficult or, or as difficult of an opening to the conference schedule as, as you can sort of have in this conference, um, the key for them is not going to be to get buried, you know, in those first six games, to not get where you know, six games go by and they're all of a sudden two and four, you know, or one and, you know, God forbid, one and five. But, you know, you can sort of see them going two and four. I mean, Pomeroy projects them to lose lose their first five conference games, which, you know, some of those games are, you know, closer sort of coin flip type games along the way. But still, that, that sort of does tell you that, you know, there is a real possibility that they, they stumble out of the gate a little bit, even if the middle of the, the schedule where, you know, Pomeroy has them for eight straight wins, um, you know, sets up nicely for them. So I think, you know, if they can come out and go three and three in those first six games, I think I think that's a positive for them, and that, and that is set up well for a run. If they go two and four, it's a little bit, eh, but, uh, you know, and one and five would obviously be not what they're looking for. But the thing, you know, the thing with Oregon State to me is it's not like I, I totally – didn't expect them to play pretty well coming out of the gate. I, I, I think I did. I mean, I've never been Craig Robinson's biggest fan, but I am, you know, I am sort of impressed by the way he has adapted to the talent that he's had, that he's got. And he went from, you know, the, the Beavers have gone from being one of the um, slowest, probably most boring teams that you could watch. 
uh, and and that comes from a guy who watched you know Bennett Ball for six years, um, you know which I loved, and and so like when I watched Oregon State play awful slow, especially at first. Uh, when he first got there, I sort of understood it and I appreciated it. And then, you know, it, it kind of wasn't really translating into results. And, you know, and credit Craig Robinson, they, you know, midway through last year, he just sort of decided, all right, well, I've got these athletes. We're just going to start running. Yeah. And and all of a sudden they started running and they started experiencing success. And then you look this year again and they're, you know, 27th in adjusted tempo all year, uh, you know, 27th nationally in adjusted tempo. They are still running and, and doing it really well. And so I think... I think that you know one of the the interesting storylines for me, if we were to sort of wrap this part up, is that you know Oregon State is exciting. Actually, you know they're they're yeah, a fun they're they're, f- they're a fun team to watch, and and that's you know in a conference where res- the results haven't been what what we all would want or what we all would hope for. Um, at the very least, you know, entertaining basketball is something that you can hang your hat on a little bit. And, and Oregon State, frankly, is, you know, they might be, um, at the risk of, of offending you and any other Washington fan, Oregon State might be the most exciting team in the conference. Yeah, I mean, uh, they definitely, if you haven't had a chance to check out the sweet alley-oop that Joe Burton threw to Jared Cunningham, uh, I would make make a point to watch that on YouTube. Uh, beautiful stuff, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think Washington Oregon State is definitely a game that uh, is going to be is going to be one to one to check out. So first the only hundred first, first probably first one to hundred wins probably. <laughs> uh, so the only the last thing we kind of the sort of storyline of the non conference schedules, and I don't know if it's just we've been paying more attention this year or if it really is sort of an odd trend, but all these guys leaving school um, to go other places. I mean, I think the weirdest one, I have to say, I mean, even kind of weirder than Reeves Nelson just kind of losing his mind and ending up in Lithuania is it's just almost like getting exiled to Gulag or something, is Oregon where they lost Jabari Brown after two games and then a really highly touted freshman recruit just left the team after two games. No real explanation or anything ever came out. Now he's transferring to Missouri um, and then another freshman guard, Bruce Barron, left the team as well. Uh, and, you know, they it's not like they've really lost a beat or anything, but uh, missed a beat or anything. But, um, but yeah, that was odd. Nelson leaving UCLA, that was strange. Um, and, uh, and Utah, like a couple of guys left Utah. I don't know. Maybe it's just that's just what happens, and I'm just kind of projecting extra this year. I don't know. Well, it just it definitely seems like it's more of an issue or more of a thing, I guess, than than it has been. Uh, you know, I mean, just guys. I don't know. Guys, guys are not afraid to leave and, and go other places now. They, they, you know, the mid majors. They see that they can they can play right away and they can sort of be the guy. Uh, you know, they can go other places. I mean, I just I think that transfers are becoming a more prevalent part of the college game and that without um, you know it's just it's any coach that doesn't sort of explore the the possibilities in transfers gets left behind you know and I know we're talking no. about guys leaving but there the, this conference also has had a ton of guys come in you know it's uh, yeah. I look at I look at even wazoo and this is a guy or this is a this is a school that that you know, obviously needs talent wherever it can find it. And, you know, they've got a guy 
playing for them who has been out for most of the year but is now um, you know finally playing again which is Mike Ladd a transfer from uh, you know a transfer from Fresno State and they've got another guy sitting on their bench who isn't playing this year um, who will play next year and that's Royce Woolridge who's a transfer from Kansas um, who is a guard and is the son of Orlando Woolridge those of you who are in you might remember him yes and so um, you know it's 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 interesting there just it seems to me that that transfers have always been sort of part of the name of the game at the mid majors, but has made their way up to uh, up to the the major conference level as well. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, you know, it's weird. I mean, I feel like we've seen it, you know, definitely with kind of lesser, yeah, you know, with lesser players. I don't know. It's sort of been something to get used to. And it does feel like it's been in the past years. I mean, with Washington, you've had a lot of guys transfer out, you know, and, and it's felt more like instead of the player kind of deciding, you've really felt like it's more like the coach saying there's not a role for you here, you know, maybe you should go somewhere else or, you know, if this is the kind of player you want to be, then, you know, maybe you should go to a different school. But, um, you know, the last, you know, Cal had Gary Franklin just kind of transfer, like, mysteriously right away as a freshman and and now uh, Jabari Brown with Arizona. But like you said, it does seem like, and, you know, the part of this is the NCA has kind of, I guess, made it a little bit easier, or, or I don't know, maybe you guys are just not as uh, afraid to, to go ahead, and if they don't feel like this is the year they want to have, they'll just go ahead and transfer. I mean, Keon Bell from Pepperdine is transferring just for like a year, um, so, so yeah, well, I'm looking forward to the conference season starting. This non-conference season has been sort of a bummer, uh, but after Christmas and with the new year starting, we can just turn over a new leaf, and uh, it will be much more enjoyable, I think. Yeah, we can make some uh, some New Year's resolutions, like not talk about the non-conference season ever again. Or, there you go. Just, I don't know. Just, just never it. speak of this again. Yeah. No, unfortunately, <laughs> we won't have that luxury when we get to, when we get to tournament time. We start talking about oh god resumes and things like that. And you know, it's yeah, it's uh, you know, you, you say oh god, and that's because you're probably thinking the same thing I am, which is that you know people. Throwing around things like one bid league and and stuff like that, you know, I don't I don't see that happening. I mean, it's um, I, you'd be I think you'd be really hard pressed to find you know a a one a, an argument for a one bid league, but you know we're probably looking at maybe two, um, maybe yeah, three. Like so. nobody in the pack has beaten anybody good. Really. I know, and that's the but issue. They've also, but I mean, you've got three teams: Stanford, Cal, and Oregon State, who've all have one or two losses. And, I mean, I guess you could, again, accepting that Oregon loss, Oregon State lost to to, to uh, Idaho, they haven't really lost to anyone bad, and they've beaten up, you know, they've beaten everybody they've played. Um, so, uh, you know, it's it's not a flashy, <laughs> it's a good, It's there's good teams, they're just not kind of like, flashy or, you know, or, and nobody's in the top 25, and I think probably deservedly so, I mean, they're not... It's just there's just there's not there's a lot of strength sort of in the middle, but there's not one you know there's not one dominant team. That's what UCLA and Arizona are supposed to do, but they're kind of not doing it this year. Yeah, and it, that's that's the hard part is you get to a point where you know you, you know they've got some teams that have played like okay, but they just they haven't picked up results and 
and uh, ultimately results are what matter in, in the eyes of the NCAA tournament. They don't look at Ken Pomeroy and say, oh, well, they lost, you know, five games, but they were five close games against good teams. You know, they, they look go, they lost five games. And so, um, you know, that's it's going to be interesting to see. That, again, you know, the thing to keep an eye on as we move towards conference play is, you know, probably the best thing for this conference is to have just sort of a very clear upper tier and a very clear bottom tier um, and just have some teams separate themselves from the pack and not have um, sort of this muddled middle, which is which is what you were referring to, where you've got these these teams in the middle that um, aren't necessarily terrible and, and just sort of knock each other off and, and, and they pile up losses along the way. That that might be sort of the worst thing that that could happen, but but as it is, you know these uh, these teams that uh, you know hope to get to the tournament. I think they they need to you know be looking at getting you know thirteen fourteen conference wins, and you know the best way to do that is uh, is to have maybe some of the bottom teams be not very good, you know, and have the upper teams pile up some wins. and And I think before we sign off, we'd be remiss. And speaking of teams that aren't very good, we'd be remiss if we did not mention that. Oh yeah, Utah. Yay! Utah is off the schneid. Utah, yeah. Utah picked up not one but two victories over this past yeah. week, beating uh, beating Idaho State, which is which is I think was a I you know I don't want to say it was a totally expected result, but something that I think you know we all sort of figured all right, you know they should probably beat Idaho State, but then they went uh, you know and, and welcomed in the mighty Portland Pilots and, and ended up beating them by five. So. So congratulations to those running youths. Yeah, yeah, and that may be the only wins that they get the rest of the season. But they, uh, but yeah, it's definitely it would have been ugly. It's been an ugly year for Utah in the Pac-10 Pac-12 period. Like they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. Kind of football, it was not very pretty either. But uh, but yeah, now the at least we do not have they do not will not have the indignity of uh, having. You know, people were talking about the worst major conference team ever, and they won't have that. Although I think that losing, you know, not winning a Pac-10 game is a is a possibility. But we shall see. Yeah, we definitely shall see. And uh, you know, they've got they've got another. You know, the Big Sky was was kind to them with Idaho State, and they've got Weber State coming up on Thursday. So you know, yeah, maybe they'll get another win. They might. So yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be interesting to watch. Uh, yeah, so I think that'll I think that'll just about uh, just about do it for us here. Uh, Alrighty, I will be the game that I will be watching is I, I I will be watching California UNLV intently this week. Is there any game mm-hmm. that, that you are sort of keying on? I know you're going to the the Seattle U Virginia game, which has nothing to do with Pac-12 basketball whatsoever, but is is kind of interesting. I guess Tony Bennett. That's a Former Pac-12 tie there, but yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, I mean, to be honest, it's to me this Cal State Northridge game. I mean, I, you know, the Huskies should probably are just going to come in and they're just going to destroy Cal State Northridge because usually this is what happens. Like people start to get down and they just obliterate someone because um, they get kind of fired up. The games at home, um, but you know, it would be nice to see Washington. And not just as a Washington fan, but I guess, you know, just as someone who's a fan of the conference and the good teams in the conference kind of show something before uh, before conference play starts. Because they've got to get things figured out and, uh, you know, maybe against a lesser team that's the way to start doing that. Yeah, and I will actually get to see my Cougs live this week as they come to uh, come to Seattle for the oh, right. Cougar the Cougar, Cougar, Cougar classic. Hardwood Classic. Oh, yes. Cougar Hardwood Classic. Yes. As Cougar opposed Hardwood to the, classic. the Softwood Classic. Yes. Basically. 
Yes. Very, See, very you know, these are these are very technical terms that we're working with here. Yes. Uh, the Cougar Harbor Classic up at Key Arena, so excited to see that. And, and they've got you know their own issues. Uh, they've had some some key players out for a little bit, and uh, not so coincidentally, perhaps they they played their very best ball of the season during those three games. And then uh, those guys all came back, and they did not play their best ball on Sunday against a Division Two team, which sort of leads people to put two and two together and, and say perhaps maybe there's something going on with with the guys who are coming back. So, you know, Pepperdine is, is their last non-conference game. It's sort of their last chance to for Ken Bowden to figure out how, how he's going to put his rotation together and, and try to maximize uh, the guys he's got. Basically what he's got is he's got a lot of guys who are sort of similarly talented and, and do different kinds of things but but are just sort of above average kind of players. They don't have any um, superstars. And so trying to figure out how to how to manipulate that many above average players and kind of get the, the maximum out of them um, is proving to be a bit of a, of a challenge for him. So, so that'll be interesting. So that will wrap us up for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week, I, w- I would imagine, with our, with our conference preview blowout where we mm-hmm. maybe try to, try to project how the conference will shake out and maybe who will win the uh, Pac-12 Player of the Year race and, and all those other interesting, fun things. And so you can look forward to that. Listeners of of 18 in life you can look forward to that so thanks a lot for joining us this week on 18 in life for seth i'm jeff and also for our producer jeff collier Um, thanks a lot for listening and we will talk to you next week